Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove, and the new school year is upon us. Man, I, I'm grateful for that as a parent of two teenagers in the house, it, it, but it was a rough summer for us. I mean, we, we had a lot of, a lot of stuff going on this summer, um, but I'm glad school's back, like back into the, the, the rhythms of life. Um, as a family and, you know, readjusting to our family with, uh, missing my, uh, my partner in raising our children. And, uh, you know, just trying to, I think that the repetition and just the, the rhythm of, of normal, the normal school year is a good thing, but of course it's 2023. So we've got some, some crazy things happening. And I got to tell you this podcast, today may be one of the most important ones that I will put out for the Estes Valley because we are looking at probably the most important election as far as the future of the Estes Valley's children and their educational needs and and that's ever been held so uh, and there's some big players lining up to be a part of this um, I've got a great interview today, um, and uh, it's with a, a columnist, uh, Logan Davis, and um, Logan Davis is many things. He's a political consultant, a researcher, and a columnist who who writes mostly for the um, Colorado Times Recorder, which if you're not familiar with them, you need to go out and check out their website. It's just coloradotimesrecorder.com. I'm going to put up links to like all of his articles that are relevant to the interview today. Um, but seriously, just go to the about page at the Colorado Times Recorder, coloradotimesrecorder.com, and see what news organizations have linked or named the stories that they put out in their own coverage of things. I mean, it's a who's who of national news. Um, you know, everyone from ABC to Aspen News to, sorry, Aspen Daily News to CNN, MSNBC, um, Rachel Maddow, um, you know, a lot of the shows that I've been on, um, Rolling Stone, then Salon, uh, Vice, Westward, um, just mother jones it, it they're just everywhere because they're doing good work and they're right here in colorado if you haven't checked them out go check it out they're they're putting out some good stuff um and uh so we're talking with one of the columnists there today because he covered in depth some of the best coverage that i have seen out there as far as what happened in woodland park and what happened at the Woodland Park School District made big national news um, for a reason, because what happened there um, a few years back is looking like that same formula is being applied to our school district here in Estes Park, right in our backyard. Um, so we're talking to Logan about those connections, kind of what, what happened in Woodland Park, um, the history behind what has happened to uh, public, rural public schools um, across the nation, because this is not just here in Colorado. This is a national initiative that has local organic 
um, roots as well. So it, it, it all kind of fits together. So this is just for the people of Estes Park, if you're a stakeholder in the community and you are concerned about what we saw happen over the last 18 months, because we've had a lot of stuff going on here um, in the last 18 month period. Um, that's just been marked by significant changes in the school board's direction, the removal and replacement of uh, the superintendent, um, the uh, the charter school application, um, which was thankfully unanimously voted down. But now that mechanism appears to be um, reforming. And uh, I think we're in for a very big roller coaster ride when it comes to um what's going on you know man it's just and and the people that are 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 kind of designing this i think really and and a part of it they're not locals they're not people who live here in estes or have kids here in estes um and it even connects to people like lauren bobert um so yeah, if we look at two of the candidates that are out there that are kind of um, involved in this this type of action, um, uh, there, there's two candidates, uh, Kyrie Cox and Kevin Morris, um, that have filed to run um, in this upcoming election. And if you do a little bit of digging, you're going to find that um, on their candidate affidavits to run um, com- candidate committees were established for each of them. The committees are vote for Kevin G. Morris, Estes Park School Board, and vote for Kyrie Cox for students, parents, and teachers. Um, and they both registered the same day. Um, the, what's, what's a bit concerning is that the registering agent filing both Cox and Morris's committee registration forms was Miss Marge Klein, who's the president of um, Polyfy, um, and uh, if you look at Polyfy's website, you'll find information that they provide campaign finance and compliance for several clients. But it's the clients that that may be concerning to some people. the The largest and and, and most famous of their clients being. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who ranks as one of the most, I don't even have to tell you about Lauren Boebert. I mean, you, you already know, um, one of the most extreme right-wing members of Congress, um, Ms. Klein served as treasurer for Congresswoman Boebert. Um, and, um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, that says it all right there. Fact. So let, let, if you look a little bit deeper into Polyfy's business and Ms. Klein, you'll find clients who endorse her services um, are Republicans on the far side, uh, current and former, many of whom have moved on to work in the Trump administration. And um, one that served as uh, Congresswoman Boebert's communications director. So, you know, you just have to question what sort of influence they will have there. Um, now the company Polyfly's primary responsibilities involve financial management reporting, state compliance reporting, and the Federal Elections Commission compliance reporting. Um, but if you look at the history of Ms. Klein's tenure as, as Congresswoman Boebert's treasurer, it 
there, there were, uh, it was significantly mismanaged. Um, in a July 2020 letter to the uh, FEC, Ms. Klein admitted that there was no intent to try and report contributions illegally as I just plain forgot to watch for large donations as I was preparing the report. Um, so we saw lapses in financial oversight, um, and it just it just raises some questions. Um, so yeah, and and uh, Miss Kyrie Cox, you might remember, uh, offered her signature as a vital member of the S local SS Park school district residents who endorse and push for the approval of the recently rejected charter school here in Estes Park, uh, the application. Um, and, you know, to their credit, the current school board that we elected nearly two years ago, they rejected that charter school um, application unanimously. It was a five to zero vote. Um, so we know that this candidate is going to push for similar initiatives, or at least we can speculate. Um, and, you know, is that going to waste taxpayer monies? I don't know. Um, there are also people in the community that are concerned that uh, Mr. Kevin Morris openly flies a don't tread on me flag in his backyard. I mean, that's kind of superfluous. I mean, that's it's definitely First Amendment. And if that's what they want to, you know, there was a time in my life that I I uh, I flew the same flag outside of my house back in my Montana days. Um, and. You know, I am related to the person who came up with the flag, distant relative. Um, but, you know, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but so the conversation today is going to be all about what's happening with school boards, very specifically what happened in Woodland Park, um, where Woodland Park stands now. And then we're going to finish off the conversation with... Um, what we can do in the Estes Valley as a community, if, if you don't like the direction that this seems to be going, what we can do. And I, it's easy to just sit back and think that it's all over. You know, we, we, we stopped the charter school. You know, the school board seems to be doing a, a, a pretty good job right now. Um, and so it's easy to get complacent, but we have an election cycle. You know, two of the core school board members um, – Seats are now up for election because the others have timed out. They've 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 reached the end of their tenure that they can serve, and uh, it's time for for new leadership. So that's going to fall on us. And I know one of the big problems when you're in a small town is because I get reached out to all the time by concerned locals about an issue or another, and they've even gone through and done research and. Um, put together what they think's going on and they want a, someone to speak out about it and they're never willing to put their name behind it and I can tell you right now that this election cycle what we're coming into um, not just a school board election but the election cycle that's coming up we have uh, town council positions coming up we have a national presidential election I mean we're just going into to crazy time right now um, but with where the world is where our country is, and where we are right here in the Estes Valley, it is critically important that we stand up with our names as a community, that we organize, that we come together and say, this is the direction we as the community members and stakeholders of the Estes Valley want our community to go and make it happen ourselves. No one's coming to save us. You know, the answer is not, you know, 
one person or another, you know, fixing everything and running for position. It's going to take all of us. We've got to organize and decide this is the direction we choose to go, whatever that direction may be um, as a community and uh, go from there. So the other big thing I wanted to to talk about real quick, because it ties into um, the uh, the interview I'm going to be doing Monday. And I'm going to pull this up real quick. So um, if you follow the, the newsletter, the Substack that I do, you, you saw my posting um, two days ago on the 6th that, um, that on the 6th that in Colorado, a major uh, um, lawsuit was brought forward, uh, uh, filed um, by Watchdog Group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, otherwise known as CREW. Um, filed their first lawsuit in a, a national initiative to disqualify former President Donald Trump from office by enforcing Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits those who violate their oaths of office by engaging in insurrection from holding public office. So basically, it will keep Trump off of the presidential election ballot due to his actions um, on January 6th when we saw the attack on our United States Capitol and the and our fair elections, our democratic processes. So crew and co-councils will represent six Republican and unaffiliated Colorado voters in bringing this groundbreaking lawsuit of Anderson versus Griswold and Trump um, uh, to bear. Um, and, uh, this, this thing was originally added to the constitution in the wake of the civil war to ban former Confederates and future insurrectionists from holding public office. Section three is a qualification for office and is at its core, a democracy preservation provision. This lawsuit was filed in that light. And, uh, they actually filed it on the, the first anniversary of crew winning the first case in 150 years, enforcing section three in that case, which was, um, state XRL versus Griffin, um, removed former County commissioner and Cowboys for Trump co-founder, uh, Coy Griffin from office in New Mexico. So I have a special guest, um, and, uh, that is going to be chief counsel of the, um, crew who's bringing this, uh, Donald Sherman, he's chief counsel of crew. And uh, he's going to be talking with me directly. We, we got the interview set up for Monday, so I expect that to be out probably Tuesday or Wednesday um, and, and get it out. But, you know, this is a great interview. Um, I know Donald from the, the time I work I've been doing in D.C. and and some of the other stuff I've been doing on a national level. So uh, it'll be great to talk with him about what's happening and how this is all starting here in Colorado. Um such a big uh, lawsuit, and uh, they, they chose Colorado to, to kick it all off. And so we're going to have a chance to talk with him. That should be a great interview. Um, so, yeah, let's just jump into, and before we do that, I, I don't really do sponsors anymore, but what I, <laughs> I'm going to sponsor myself and, and raising my children on uh, half the income that we used to have. Um, right now, if you haven't yet checked out my book, The Perils of Extremism, put out by Skyhorse. Um, right now on Amazon, it's 50% off. So it's like $13 and some change. 
Um, so if you've been, and it's a, a beautiful hardcover, it's got a great dust cover, you know, spend, they spend extra money on the dust cover. Um, if you're local and you buy it, reach out to me, we'll get together, I'll sign it for you. Um, but that's 50% off. That'll go directly to trying to help, uh, <laughs> fund and support raising two teenage daughters on my own now. Um, it's also available as an audiobook on Audible. Um, some guy that you've heard, uh, some famous, uh, narrator that you've heard probably 30 different things and, and don't know who he is like me. Um, sounds like a very, uh, respectable and upright citizen, um, reading my words on audible you can check it out it's it's also available there in audible it's not discounted on audible but if you want the hardcover if you still like books you want something up in your your bookshelf um and again i'll sign it if you're local like we'll, we'll figure it out um you can uh get it 50 percent off right now go to amazon um i think they also have it at uh the local bookstore here mcdonald's uh, last time I was perusing in there, I saw that they had one copy in the local author section. So you can also pick it up there or wherever you get your books, for those of you who still read. All right, let's just jump into this interview and go from there. All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is Jason Vantano with the Colorado Switchblade. We're here today with a writer that man, I reached out to to connect with him because I, I had come across his writings um, on what had happened in Woodland Park. And Woodland Park kind of has a special place in my heart because that's where my my wife um, grew up and that was where her family is. And so I, I wound up spending a lot of time in Woodland Park. And, you know, it's a crazy little small mountain community like, like so many of us here in the mountains. Um, but I reached out to Logan Davis and he was more than happy to come on and I got to tell you, I think this is a guy that can really break down what's happening with our school boards, not just here in Colorado, but across the country. So I want to welcome Logan Davis. Logan, thanks for coming on. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself to my listeners and just kind of tell us who you are, what you do, what brought you to, to covering. So, you know, I, I think you cover the Colorado school boards, at least what's happening in the rural communities better than any other journalists I've come across. So tell us, just introduce yourself to, to my listeners. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Jason, and for those wonderful compliments. Uh, I have struggled to get a little bit better over the years at trying to explain to people like my mother and my friends what I do, because uh, it is always a little bit difficult. And the most streamlined version I have of that at this point uh, is that I am a political communications consultant and opposition researcher, and I have also found myself being a columnist uh, over the last year or two uh, with an outlet called the Colorado Times Recorder. I started working in politics well over a decade ago doing kind of, uh, you know, pardon my my online terminology here, but kind of normie uh, politics work, right? Electoral campaigns. I've worked more than 70 campaigns, uh, managed a couple dozen of them, worked in various capacities. And once 2016 happened, how it happened, and then things like Pizzagate and QAnon started emerging into 2017. Uh, and I was focused a lot on opposition research at that time. That stuff started keeping me up at night in a way that caring who won a particular legislative race or even congressional race did not grip me in such a way as these sort of newfangled conspiracy or extremist or 
whatever you want to call it, movements did. And I slowly started shifting more and more of my focus there in 2017 and 2018, uh, doing extremist tracking and consulting with progressive organizations and organizations uh, in Colorado and around the country who are trying to better understand these movements, how they operate, and how our institutions can sort of be hardened against them and not fall prey to uh, whether it was QAnon, uh, whether it became the Stop the Steal folks, the Anti-Mask folks, or now uh, the Parents' Rights folks. So a lot of similarities running through those movements. Uh, I like to say that a lot of folks got to this Parents' Rights issue through education and being interested in that or having children there. I got here through extremism. I followed a different path, uh, and they led me to the same place. And uh, I have been fortunate that the Colorado Times Recorder has let me put as much focus on this with my column as I want. And as a result, I've ended up camped out over this Woodland Park story for about four months uh, and have published, you know, 20,000 words on it or something because they don't have a robust local press down there that is going to do that job. They do have school board elections coming up like so many other communities this November. And what they have already seen happen since their school board was taken over in 21 is so stark and so striking that I thought that using Woodland Park as a little bit of a case study was a good way to open some other folks' eyes to the stakes riding on a thousand local school board races around the country this November. Uh, and that's really what I'm doing here is is talking with you about, I think, why folks really need to care about that this year in a way that they haven't before. And and this is something that hits home for, for me here in Estes because we have two positions up on the school board, uh, two of the holdouts. Now, we did have... Uh, kind of a takeover happened here. You know, it was organized. It seemed to follow a formula a pattern. You know, as soon as the school board got elected, they immediately fired the superintendent. Um, you know, everything was tried tried to be swept under the the rug and not talked about. But I really think that right now we're we're fighting for the the and, and the charter school. They tried to to bring about a, a Christian uh, classical charter school. I'm using air quotes there. Um, so, you know, we're, we're seeing it happen right here in our backyards. Um, so I know, and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to cover something like school board races because it's, it's hard to communicate to average people within parents with kids in the school, like myself, you know, why this is so important, why this really matters. So I think it would be great if you could kind of talk about like what, how this came about, like what what we're seeing, what these patterns are, and more importantly, I'd like to end off with, like, what can parents do? What can communities do to say, you know what? I don't, we're not okay with this in our community, and and we want to try to safeguard. Um, so I think that would be a great way to to just to move forward. I will actually, I'll start at the end there and then circle back. Parents can do a lot, um, and the something I've been blown away by while working on the Woodland Park stuff. And we will get back to this and talk more about this later, but there is an extremely organized group of parents on the ground there who have spent two years filing records requests, pulling recall petitions. I mean, they have done the thing and they have done it better than, again, my background is in uh, professional political organizing. I have seen uh, funded professional groups do a less competent job of pulling together meaningful opposition that makes these boards feel the pressure, hear from the public. I've seen professional operations do that significantly worse than the local parents in Woodland Park have. And then there are parents in Douglas County, there are parents uh, in Garfield County, parents in uh, uh, you know counties all over the state. And I think that the project right now 
needs to be knitting those groups together. There's a lot of parents doing really amazing work, totally under the radar in local community after local community. And I think that building that into a movement like Moms for Liberty has built the opposite of that into a movement is our best bet at this point. And I know that there are some organizations right now trying to do that here in Colorado um, and just sort of getting off the ground with that. Backing up a little bit, you you mentioned a playbook uh, in Woodland Park. That's really what, or in Estes Park, that's really what grabbed my attention uh, about the parents' rights stuff. I do some work in Virginia as well. Loudoun County is often cited as sort of ground zero uh, for the parents' rights movement because that is where the CRT, critical race theory stuff, was astroturfed in the summer of 2001, largely by a guy named Ian Pryor. Uh, who right. actually, you know, Ian, yeah, who works for America First Legal, which is run by Stephen Miller of the Trump administration, uh, sort of Trump's Garbles, uh, Stephen Miller. And that's actually, so that is directly where this came from. Stephen Miller's guy, Ian Pryor, astroturfs this in the Loudoun County School Board in Virginia, where he lives. And what I have suspected is that because of, I'll back up a little bit, the because of the ties that the original outbreak of this with CRT has to some very establishment Republican figures like Stephen Miller. I mean, he worked in the White House under a Republican presidency. That's a Republican establishment figure. The whole thing has felt to me like there has been some impetus on the national level from the National Party to uh, push some of this as a way of keeping voters engaged and activated specifically after some COVID and Stop the Steal stuff wound down and they lost a little bit of energy. You hit summer 2021, Ian Pryor, Loudoun County, they really make this CRT thing go wild. And that's the start of parents' rights, uh, more or less, as a national news story. Earlier in that year, Moms for Liberty had founded in Florida. Ron DeSantis was making moves with the Don't Say Gay Bill. A lot of this was starting to conflate. And that summer, it really burst into flames in Loudoun County and started spreading out from there. And by later in the year, I was seeing this with clients in Wisconsin. I was seeing it, it really flowed out by mid last year, by summer of 2022, it had pretty much subsumed all conservative messaging on pretty much all issues all the time. It is what folks are talking about. It's where the trans panic we're currently living through originated, this SEL, social emotional learning stuff, CRT, critical race theory. I call this the attack of the three-letter acronyms uh, because there's apparently not a three-letter acronym that some of these folks don't find incredibly threatening. But so all that to say, I think that this really started as a way to keep momentum in conservative voters and communities. It's an organizing opportunity I think that it would be wrong at this point to call it AstroTurf from the top. I think it started like that. And then I think it genuinely caught on like wildfire uh, with a bunch of groups who, for various reasons, like various conservative or conspiratorial movements, find there are answers they don't have, things that they're missing in their life, right? And somebody hands them a package of answers and they're willing to latch onto it. So this thing sort of started as a playbook in a broad sense of using school issues to keep parents and particularly this younger set of Gen X parents who would not have traditionally been conservative, get them engaged, get them into quote, the culture wars uh, and on a generally conservative side. And then it takes on a life of its own. The other playbook that you're seeing some of in, in, and of course to gloss over a lot here, but the other playbook that you're seeing some of in Estes Park and that we're seeing in Woodland Park, that's a much more specific thing that I'm still digging into and researching, but essentially the way I I like to bifurcate this is Moms for Liberty, Parents Defending Education, all of that stuff, that is an electoral project. That is to use this momentum and this energy to get folks into office. And then it's not 
just about school boards, right? That's a training ground. That's what you call a backbench. And then those people run for, for legislators. Right. It's a starting like point for political careers. Yes, it is a starting point for political careers. And it's a starting point with a really low price tag most of the time. So you're like, hell, I can afford 5000 of my own dollars to see if I can win this race, et cetera. So there's the electoral project happening with the parents' rights movement. It's happening in Woodland Park more clearly than I've seen anywhere else. And what it sounds like is happening in Estes Park is what happens once they take control. And that is what I have focused on with my Woodland Park reporting is this series of influences and organizations that for a variety of reasons want to change or end public education, which is you know nothing new, uh, but it's, its incarnation is new. And seeing how far they can stretch the authority they can get from local school boards in service of doing that. Um, I published some secret audio uh, of a conservative attorney named Brad Miller last month. Miller is the attorney for the Woodland Park School District. He's also the attorney for a, it, seemingly a couple dozen schools and districts in Colorado. Yeah, his uh, name's come up quite a bit. He's the go-to guy. So Brad is... Um, for what it's worth, uh, I think that everything that he he fights for is uh, opposed to what I fight for. And uh, Mr. Miller has never been anything but courteous to me, which is not always the case with some of these. So I, I can always appreciate uh, that Brad at least uh, – he's a nice guy while doing things that I think are horrible. Uh, and I, I want to stop him, and he wants to stop me, and I think that that's fair, and at least we're nice about it. Um, so I, I have this interesting kind of correspondence with Brad whenever I have to send him a request for comment. Uh, which, as it turns out, is pretty frequently because Brad works for just about all of the conservative, uh, you know, this, this sort of newer form of hardcore conservative uh, education reform movement, parental rights stuff in Colorado. He's everywhere. And I haven't even successfully mapped what all districts he's working in yet. Uh, it just keeps sort of going. It, it just keeps going. Right. So um, important detail there. Uh Brad is, and this is not a side note, although I walked up to it like that. Brad is is very much part of implementing the playbook in different districts. And I he's also, I don't want to put past him, I believe he owes, deserves some credit for creating parts of it as well. Uh, to give the brief backstory here, because some of your uh, listeners will certainly be in districts where, where his name has come up as well. Uh, Miller became an attorney as a second career, uh, which actually I, I think reflects sort of well on him, people who can who can change a pivot. And again, I, I promise I'm not trying to be a Brad Miller fan. I just, you know, credit where it's due. Brad, um, I cannot recall what he'd done before, sales, corporate, something. Early 2000s, he goes to law school, becomes an attorney, and since then has really laser focused on conservative education causes. He has really built a niche for himself uh, and is a go-to guy for that. And some of his early successes were with things like Monument Academy in Colorado Springs, which is, you know, one of those private classical academies, et cetera. Um, did, where did, his... did he do work in Thompson School District yes. as well? Yeah. So that's in 2013 is when Brad really gets notoriety because he gets hired by two insurgent school boards at the same time, when boards win in Thompson and Jefferson counties. Right. Both of them hire Brad. Immediately in Jeffco, which got so much more press than Thompson, um, that raised eyebrows because the district already had an attorney. And so the board had to say, well, he's our school board attorney now, not the district attorney. So there's no problem. But yes, we're still going to use taxpayer dollars to fund this. Something similar happened in oh, Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, Thompson, just down the hill from us in Loveland. So when all this happens in 2013... Jeffco gets all the press. This is also the origin story of what 
I know a lot of us who have fallen into this rabbit hole view as the all-time resource, right? Which is Thompson School Reform Watch. Um, I, I find right. that Facebook page fascinating. They have pulled together so much information on so many of these folks over the past 10 years. And what I find most fascinating is that of the dozens and dozens of people I have talked to have referenced the page, not a single one knows who it is. Right. Um, it's, it's like this anonymous thing. Like I've actually had contact because of the coverage I was doing here in SS Park because we we are in a we, we do have a, a town newspaper, but it's owned by Alden. I used to write for him and it, it just not covering any of this. So it was like like I don't want to cover this, but there's no one else doing it. So I'm going to I'm going to try to do what I can because my kids go to the district and this is where I live. No, Thompson, uh, the, the Facebook page is amazing. Anytime you probably have the same experience, so many folks I talk to have, but anytime you Google like two pretty specific keywords having to do with some of this stuff in Colorado, the results you get are there are, you know, a five-year-old Facebook post from the Thompson School Reform Watch uh, Facebook page. So, And they're like ghosts though. Like, no, yeah, you're right. Nobody, as far as I can tell, they're truly anonymous. They're not, there's, somebody's got to know, right? But I- I don't want to ruin that for them. And I think they're doing an amazing job. And I'm so fascinated by how many folks I've talked to who have interacted with them many times and just truly don't know, which is inspiring. And frankly, with some of the hate that that comes the way folks who talk about some of this stuff, I think that they probably made a wise decision there. All that to say, in 2013, when Brad gets hired in Thompson and Jefferson by new school boards, that's the origin of that Facebook page. Because they were sort of not getting the coverage that all the Jeffco drama was getting. The Jeffco stuff unfolds over the course of two years in the Denver Post, in all the front range press. And what's interesting is that the president of that school board who hired Brad Miller is now the superintendent of the Woodland Park School District. A guy named Ken Witt. He does not have any credentials as an educator or education administrator. He's an engineer um, who just really does not particularly care for public schools. Uh, and sort of made this a second life of his. I don't know how far back before Jeffco, Ken and Brad go, but Ken Witt and Brad Miller are very central to this playbook unfolding in your district in Woodland Park and uh, hopefully, or hopefully not, soon in districts around Colorado. And they kind of hammered it out there in Jefferson or in Jefferson County in 2013 to 2015 when they were recalled. During that time, they fired a superintendent they didn't move all that fast. They didn't necessarily realize they were going to need to do that. They tried to replace the AP U.S. history curriculum with curriculum that was significantly more slanted towards, I'd say, a version of reality that would lend itself towards making young folks conservative. Um, and antagonized the school union, uh, tried to cancel their contracts, etc. This resulted in one of the largest turnouts I've ever seen for a recall election in Colorado, where they were all turfed out with six figures voting against them. you know like these these turn out not necessarily against them right some like 60 40 but these recalls all got a hundred thousand plus voters turning out um that is how intense it had gotten there had been massive student walkouts and it was all basically because ken witt and brad miller were using jeffco public schools as a testing ground to figure out how far they could push this envelope. It has long been a view in movement conservatism that public education works against the movement. Uh, you, there's a variety of versions of this. Uh, my favorite is what 
El Paso County Moms for Liberty leader Darcy Shaning said on CNN a couple months ago, which is that there is a concerted, there's a conspiracy between Joe Biden and teachers unions to turn kids gay uh, to erode family values so that Republicans don't win elections. That's sort of the really hardcore version of why there's a lot of antipathy towards public education in that movement. But uh, the sort of broader is just like, oh, public education, that's it's government, it's lib stuff can't send my kids there. It'll make them libs. That's sort of how it's been viewed. And so guys like Brad and Ken, who are real systems thinkers, were like, okay, how can we make that system stop working against us? Which there is no evidence, by the way, that it, public education does in any way disadvantage conservatives. It is a myth on their part. Um, these guys started in Jeffco and Thompson saying, how are we going to make this system work for us, not against us? They did that a bit loudly, uh, a bit clumsily, and it led to mass protests, national news, those huge recalls, etc. From there, Kinwit ends up founding something called ER BOCES. I believe it was founded as a digital BOCES. It's called ER BOCES now. Okay. BOCES is this thing that only exists in Colorado law where – and I think they've been around since like the 60s. And theoretically, they existed for rural counties to be able to pool resources to provide uh, certain – programs that neither district could afford on its own the go-to example is special education okay. so like mountain districts would join a BOCES that could then provide them special education and the BOCES receives per pupil funding for however many students it gets in those programs the reformers figured out at some point over like the last 15 years that they can use BOCES in another way and I go off on this tangent, and I am by no means a BOCES expert, but understanding ER BOCES is important for understanding where some of these people and some of these schools are coming from. The way it works now is that Ken Witt, running ER BOCES, the guy who was the superintendent in Woodland Park and former uh, ousted president of Jefferson County School District, he now has the authority to approve schools uh, by himself. I mean, he has a board, right, but he appoints them. So ER BOCES can approve contract schools, not charter schools, contract schools. I, if, if you made me swear in a court of law and explain the difference between those, I could not. Um, but there's this loophole, right? And they can approve contract schools. Various of Brad's charter and private schools or in classical schools have started as ER BOCES contract schools under Kinwit. Brad is also the attorney at ER BOCES. So again, this is a Brad, Witt or Brad Miller Kinwit affair. They can approve their own schools, and then they can shop for districts that are willing to give those schools a charter. Wow. So they have grown this to such an extent that currently ER BOCES receives $38 million in per-pupil funding from the state every year. Um, that is how many schools, students, et cetera, that they have authorized. So they're creating this alternative. Wait, wait, one more time. How How many? $38 million of per-pupil funding a year flows to Kenwit at ER BOCES and theoretically threw him to these schools, but with all these exemptions they operate under, it's hard to know where all that money is going. So the reason I mentioned ER BOCES, which is kind of arcane, right? But I had to dig into it to understand Woodland Park because a lot of the drama in Woodland Park, and it sounds like some of y'all's, has revolved around this very driven effort to get a specific school chartered in the district. Yes, that, that seems to be seem to be the sole focus now mm -hmm. luckily my coverage and some of the people i brought in i think had at least some effect because we were able to to hold it at bay but now that the new election's coming up 
I, I I'm just certain it's just the efforts are going to be redoubled and we're losing some of our, our, you know, rational holdouts that were like the pillars that we were able to kind of to, to rest upon. Well, they, they're now term limited. And um, so, yeah, that's what happens. And, and you're right about the efforts redoubling um, in Woodland Park. The school board in 2021, I want to say, declined to charter Merritt Academy, which had already been uh, made a contract school by E.R. Boses, which was being run by Ken Witt and Brad Miller through E.R. Boses. They declined to charter it in the Woodland Park School District. Then a slate of conservatives ran a pretty intense school board election, and they won. And emails that have been released via records request since then show that pretty much as soon as they won, their election emails going back and forth saying, first order of business, we give Merritt that charter. That school board slate, which is now the school board in Woodland Park, they also seem to have retained, perhaps not financially, but at least getting his advice, Brad Miller's services before they were elected. And as soon yeah. as they were elected, Brad started billing the district. They're elected in November. By January 1st, he's billing Woodland Park School District for a full month of December. So, and and I have all the invoices. Um, he's in there immediately. They start making changes immediately. They charter merit. They do that in January, like as soon as they're sworn in, basically. And then uh, things start happening. They start going after the teachers union, et cetera. Shortly after that school year ends, they fire their superintendent and they bring in Ken Witt to be superintendent. So basically, Ken Witt and Brad Miller send Merritt to the district as a Trojan horse. Merritt gets into the district with this board they've helped and then expands and it more or less becomes the district. It brings its personnel behind it and now they control Woodland Park. They're not from there. Neither Brad nor Ken lives there, has children there. Right. I think, I think Brad might have some property up there. Because I Very think great. I saw some 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 something to do with the campaigns where he was listed and it, he did have property there and he 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 strangely enough I believe he's got some property here too. I would believe that um, he seems to be doing quite well uh, for himself, having seen a lot of his invoices. One thing that I will mention here that I think is worth noting: the strategy goes a little bit beyond the school boards as well. And I can't fully piece this together, but. Uh, two details I've always thought are worth mentioning this is that in that Jefferson County School Board from 2013 to 2015, another member on that board was Julie Williams. Julie Williams was at that time, um, she her uh, she was the aunt to the to a uh, state rep, a Republican state rep, and the sister-in-law to a Republican state senator. Brad Miller is brother-in-law of Republican state Senator Paul Lundeen, who is a major mm. advocate for charters and education reform at the state capitol and helps craft a lot of the legislation that Brad is then able to use on behalf of his clients. So in both of these instances, they had a family member or two in the legislature able to run legislation to sort of nip and tuck state laws where they needed and wanted. And I, you know, Far be it for me to say that's any sort of grand conspiracy, but I do imagine it doesn't hurt um, right. that Brad's brother-in-law uh, can make laws. That does seem helpful. So that's something I kind of keep an eye on in this regard is that it, it ties together. Brad has worked with very high-level uh, Republicans in the state as well. And look, 
I don't want to use Republican as a proxy for these people either, because a lot of what we're seeing in Woodland Park is a lot of Republicans extremely fed up with this board. And if anything is going to push back this tide in a lot of conservative communities, it's those Republicans. Uh, and that's that's right. not a coalition I find myself in often. Right. But there are people in Woodland Park who are like, look, I have been a self-identified conservative my whole life. And if these people are conservatives, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, that is a quote that somebody gave me on the phone just the other day. And I thought that's a good one. Um, so is, is the charter school thing kind of the end game? What, 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 I mean, obviously there's a formula there's, there's, this has been thought out. There's strategy that's been implemented. Um, they kind of have, have, have created this system that they're using systematically in these different communities. What do you think the end game is? I mean, obviously there's some goal that they're going after now. And, and you had touched on it with the, you know, kind of, the electoral process and, and kind of getting people ready to run for other offices, but it seems like there's something else. And, and it seems like it's, it's, it's related to the charter schools and there's some money being made because there's always money being made. What, what are your thoughts on what, where this is going? What is the plan? I think that different layers or even different factions of this same movement have slightly different goals. Um, one thing I always like to get out there is I don't like to discount the role of sincere belief, which can be an incredibly right. powerful thing, right? So a lot of these folks, maybe not Brad, but maybe Brad, right? Maybe Ken, who knows? Although I wouldn't necessarily, I don't necessarily read it off them, but a lot of these parents who support them, even a lot of these board members, they really think like, hey, this is going to be better for the kids. We've got to save the kids from CRT and, and you know, gay students and things, you know, they're... <laughs> Some people genuinely believe that. Boogie man of the day, yes. Yes, and I don't envy them genuinely believing that because that is not a great way to live. Uh, but there are a lot of folks, a lot of the foot soldier types who are like, this is what we need to do, and they just believe it, right? And so I think sincere belief is the first one. When you get to folks like Brad and Ken and, and further up, it's harder to tell for, I think there are two broad motives. One is money. The other is young minds. And it can be difficult to tell at times who is really in it for which of those. And I'll explain what I mean by either. Young minds is sort of the easiest one. In Jefferson County, they tried to change the U.S. history curriculum. In Woodland Park, they have changed the history, geography, civics uh, curriculum, all the social studies curriculums. They've replaced it with the American birthright standards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. Garfield County School District just had its first meeting about adopting them earlier this week. So uh, I'm be looking here as well. The brief background there is that uh, American Birthright was put together by a massive coalition of extraordinarily well-funded national conservative organizations. They've been shopping it around. Um, state or the state board last year, State Board of Education in Colorado rejected it, saying it's not up to Colorado standards. The Ohio State House has been deliberating it most of the time I've been writing this piece, and it's just it hasn't really moved. And now the North Carolina State House is deliberating as well. In Colorado, it was our State Board of Education, not our State House, because of how powers are delegated to that board versus the legislature. So that's just a, a state law difference. But so a couple states are looking at it. Our state rejected it. And then Woodland Park adopted it anyway uh, in January of this year after the Colorado State Board of Education. How can they do that legally? Right. So uh, that is a question probably for an actual court 
uh, one thing that David Randall, the executive director of Civics Alliance, which is the entity uh, that brought all this coalition together to make American Birthright, said after they got it adopted in Woodland Park, the very first district in the whole country and to date the only one where it has been adopted, uh, they David Randall basically crowed saying like Colorado school districts have a unique level of autonomy, and that means that we can just basically do it in some secret audio of Brad Miller that I published last month, Brad seemed a little bit more circumspect as to the legality. He said, basically, we decided we were going to do it. And if they want to stop us, they can come and stop us. And, and to me, when you hear a lawyer say something like that, it basically means I'm not sure this has been ruled on yet. You know, so like it's it's neither strictly legal nor strictly illegal. Uh, and right. I have let the ref do their job is basically yes. what he's saying. That is what Brad is saying is let the ref do their job. Um, and I have I've asked a number of education experts and people are kind of like, well, I would think that the state board has the authority to set the standards. But I guess maybe school boards also have the authority to adopt their own curricula. So it, it's I this is a place where I think local control has run a little bit of muck um, where it's it's completely uncertain whether or not the Woodland Park School Board was allowed to directly defy the, the State Board of Education, but they did. And Brad has said, if they want to stop us, they can come stop us, and nobody has. So they're just doing it now, and they are the only district in the country doing it like that. So wow. for the folks who are really behind this push for young minds, American birthright is such a gift for them because you can replace several really important subjects with a very slanted sort of God and country view of, of how the world works. And when you undermine a student's understanding of the social studies, history, geography, civics, economic, right. you're really taking a blow straight at their ability to understand who we are as a people, who we are as a nation, how we got here, who we are as citizens of a world right you know every single one of us was just born here against our will and are kind of trying to figure it out uh, and i think that the the sort of meta narratives imposed on all of this by american birthright they lead to a very clear curriculum you know which is that like jesus christ and ronald reagan created the greatest country on earth and and you know long may she reign and, and there's and something go ahead i think it's already having like i literally had to sign a, a permission slip yesterday for my my daughter who's a senior in high school just to be taught normal history that they're going to be going over controversial topics yep. with, and and seeing controversial outlets like the new york times and you know uh, actual journalism i i just it, it i was dumbfounded that i had to write you know i had to sign a release to for my children to be taught actual history um, it's it just, we're, we're in this crazy world now. And that's such a good example of, of ex different parts of exactly the same thing, which is that it's an intentional erosion of truth. Um, I always fall back on this Stephen Colbert quote, Stephen Colbert, the character from the Colbert report, where right. he said, uh, reality has a well-known liberal bias. That has sort of bounced around in my head for like 15 years. Um, you know, there's, there's a truth to it and there's not a truth to it, but there's, when you look at like, these folks are sitting around saying, what do we need for our movement to succeed on a generational level? And the answer they're coming to is, well, we need to change history <laughs> and we need to change what kids are learning about, you know, objective reality. Right. Uh, 
that sort of does lend itself to thinking Stephen Colbert may have had a point there. And so I think that's the young minds part is if they can influence how a generation of school children conceive of conceives of themselves and American birthright is K through 12. If they can conceive or affect how children are conceiving of themselves, even from that young of an age and of the American project and all of this, they believe that they can affect their voter behavior later in life. I actually think that that is not as safe of a bet as they think. I have a lot of friends who uh, were raised in in various educational traditions and have found themselves all over the political spectrum uh, in opposition to what those various educational traditions would have wanted. I have a lot of experience myself with classical Christian schools and can tell you that the graduates of classical Christian schools are not ending up as lockstep little khaki clad conservatives, uh, you know, as is sort of the intent. A lot of them are like anarcho-syndicalists these days. Right. So I, I think that's the bet they're making is that this will turn students into their little... Their I don't know. Little... I have faith in the youth. I, I mean, that's that's my one greatest hope with all everything we're facing. Like the youth I have actual faith in, like yes. they're going to figure it out. And they're the ones who have to, because we're certainly not really figuring it out for them. You no. Know, the fact that they're going to try to hoodwink the generation of humankind that has had the greatest access to information ever feels like a losing proposition to me. I just, you can keep the kids in school for eight hours and they are still going to have internet access outside of it. And if they want to check any of the things they're teaching, you're teaching them, it's going to end up eroding their confidence in you, not in right. the world. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that that's their goal. I wouldn't necessarily take that bet myself, but even if the bet doesn't play off in the meantime, kids are being subjected to false versions of reality and the impacts that'll have are, I, I think, completely unpredictable, but they can't be good quickly because I have rambled. I know the second one is money. This is um, you know, the classic motive for everything and something that it's hard to pin down, but there's a basic mechanism via which these charter schools work for uh, a profit in a, in a profitable way for some folks but also say charters in colorado get complicated uh we have the taxpayers bill of rights tabor and we can't we can't adequately fund our schools as is there are some places where we wouldn't have enough schools if it weren't for charters etc and there are a lot of folks who i've talked to who are like oh i have my kids in a charter but not like this and if they tried to make it one like this i would lose my mind right like and you can have you have boulder where you have like a lefty hippie commune charter you know whatever right. they can look all kinds of ways and there are all kinds of kids and you well, know, i think I, that charters can be a good thing and i've had yeah. doctors of education on you know that that's their whole career um singing the praises of it but not necessarily the flavor that is yeah. being pushed right now that that yeah, seems to be a different beast that's the distinction I want to make and sort of what I'm rambling on there is that charter, charters themselves are not necessarily the problem. And there are a lot of different kinds of kids. And I think having different kinds of schools to make sure kids are getting a good education, uh, no matter how they are, you know, I think is important. The reason that the anti-public school movement also latches onto charters is because they can create holes in the bottom of the, uh, the funding system. So in Colorado, charters default operate under more than a hundred exemptions under the uh, of the regulations that neighborhood schools normal public schools are operating under that allows them to operate more cheaply if they want um which as it turns out they very often do they still receive the same amount of per pupil funding from the state as the public schools do they can run a cheaper operation and then they have a lot of money to use for things like capital improvements and hey Maybe your brother-in-law has a construction company. 
and your charter school needs to build a new building with all this money you've saved, right? There are a lot of ways, once they're saving that money on the per pupil funding and building it up, that it can get out and into people's hands. Contract services, right? Like, oh, you know, this is who we're using for the lunchroom or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's your cousin. I'm not saying any of that's happening in, in Woodland Park specifically, but that's the mechanism is they get a pot of per pupil funding. They get to operate under a bunch of exemptions from the law. And then that money can move and be paid out. It can't be just taken, right? It has to be paid for services for the school. There's just a good deal of latitude on what qualifies as that. So for the money folks, it's it, some folks like, uh, you know, Ken Witt and Brad Miller, they've done a good job of profiting off of some of this to some degree, right? Even if it's just giving legal counsel to folks who are maybe uh, attempting to set up charters, that seems to go well. And then the other aspect of the money thing is at the very top, as with so much of conservatism, a lot of the money is still coming from billionaire foundations who really don't want to be paying taxes. Uh, simple as, right? And anything that they can do to chip away at public education is probably a money-saving investment for them. If you can spend $100 million to save yourself taxes on a billion, it's probably worth it every time. And so there's this limitless supply of money to oppose these entities that receive so much property taxation because it'll save them money in the long run. So I, young minds and money, I think different folks have different motivations, but that's really sort of the stew that, that comes together. Now, I, I, I also want to touch on, uh, I found through my own life journey and being a conspiracy theory junkie, um, that there, there are conspiracy theories across the political mm -hmm. spectrums. You know, you have your hard left conspiracy theories, you have your hard right. Um, and one of them that seems to be making the round right now is that that part of this push is to to just destroy the public education system, that that's kind of the, the push. Can you touch on that? I mean, do you feel like there is misinformation happening on the left as well? Um, what, what what are your thoughts there? I would say there's probably a lack of nuance. I, I think that saying this is about destroying the public school system is simultaneously right and wrong, because I think that hinges on like, what does destroy mean? I don't think that it is about making it cease to exist. I don't okay. think that's really anybody's goal. I think a lot of it is about co-opting it uh, for that purpose of, of affecting young minds and or lowering local property taxes. So a lot of it is about public education is a central institution in society and hold having control over any of the central pillars of society is a really useful thing to have if you're pursuing any sort of ends. Right. And so it's uh it's a good strategy on on their part, right? But I, I would not say it's if they destroy it, they have yeah, it's like one wins with that. No, that's like burning your spoils of war, right? I don't think that they want it to go away. I think they want it. Uh, and I think that's more it than anything. And so I do try to keep up. I, I think it's a little bit Bush era, uh, you know, Democrat talking point to be like, oh, they just want it to all go away. You know, I, I don't think that's what they want. That's certainly not what they're seem to be angling at they they kind of want to subsume it uh, okay. and make it work for them a bit better all right so we, we've kind of gone over the the history and and what's happening here in colorado Let, more importantly let's talk about so i i know there are a lot of there's a lot of teachers concerned um you know a lot of administrative staff concerned a lot of parents and community members um i i've had people say well Will you run for school board? And and the answer is not me running for the school board. The answer is the community 
um, figuring out what to do to to try to to counter this and safeguard against it. So, in in your thought process, what can the people of Estes Park and Woodland Park and any other uh, small community across the nation that is is facing the same circumstances? What are some of the best strategies that they can start implementing now? Because this election cycle is going to be upon us before we even know it. It's going to be a blink of an eye, and and people need to start getting to work right now. It's the most important question, and I can give you a three-word answer, organizing for power. It's everything. It's the answer to everything. This is why I am a union leader, right? Like this is Organizing for power is crucial to achieve any goals you want politically, socially, and that means essentially getting as many of your friends and their friends and their friends together around what you agree on, building some institutions to pursue those things, even if those institutions are a Facebook group, right, where – Y'all are making sure everybody's sort of in the know with each other about what's happening in the local district, et cetera. Setting up spaces uh, online or in person and building community on those shared threads of this is not what we want for our children. This is not what we want for our district. That is the most important thing. It, and you're right. Running for office, it can be really important and it can make a big difference. And somebody needs to replace these problematic school board members in every district. So somebody needs to do it. But if that's the extent of the opposition, then you have like three people opposing and that's it. In Woodland Park, so they currently have three of their board up for election in November and there are three candidates running against them. They're really organized parents group that's been you know, active for a year and a half plus, uh, primarily on Facebook in a closed group. They The candidates who are running more or less sort of like rose up through there. They hadn't all been hyper involved members or involved the whole time, but it also wasn't like the folks who organized the group who then went and ran, even though they're some of the louder voices. In a way, they still want to be the louder voices and not whatever kind of voice you have to be as a candidate. You know, And so it, by creating that community, they were also able to find the members of that community who were really you know, fit to run uh, and stand a really good chance to win. And they've also been able to pool their mental resources in a lot of ways. Uh, when I started my Woodland Park reporting, I'm I'm a records request fiend. That's kind of my whole thing. And I've barely done any uh, for Woodland Park because as soon as I started getting introduced to this group, they started sharing me on literally thousands of documents that they have poured out of the district over the past two years that they, again, uh, the Woodland Park group has sort of an engineer as one of its original founders and core members. And I cannot recommend enough any of these parents groups. Get yourself an engineer who really cares. Make them organize the records requests. That is uh, the Woodland Park group has one of the best organized Google drives I've ever seen. And all of this falls under organizing for power. They came together because of what they wanted to oppose together and or what they want to support together Different people have different skills. One of them's really good with the finances. One of them's really organizational. Another one will basically just like pick any fight that needs to be picked. And they've been able to sort of spread this out amongst themselves. They've all filed records requests. And by doing that and joining their efforts together, I mean, they have pulled virtually all of the evidence that I have used to discuss the board in any of my pieces. And that empowered them, and it has empowered them to get some of these emails out into the public and show, like, look how they're behaving towards parents, right? Right. They came together, they took it into their own hands, and they said, what can we do? And at that point, there wasn't an election coming up when it just happened. And so even just running wasn't a near-term enough option for them. And so they just started poking where they could, 
initially it was emails, then it became financials, then it, you know, it has just spiraled out from there. And now they are by far the most educated people on what's happening in the Woodland Park School District. That board cannot successfully lie to them no matter how hard they try because they've got a guy sitting there being like, that's different from what you said two meetings ago. I have that written right here. You know, like they're just. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and part of it is, I know part of the problem for me anyway with, with SS Park is I do get people contacting me, but they don't want to become public in this battle, um, especially in a small mountain town. I mean, we have six to 8,000 people that live here year round. Um, and, you know, I, I know that I've had to keep my kids home because of threats, uh, you know, based on recommendations of the school resource officer, just because people don't necessarily like my politics. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there. I'm a tar I, I'm, I'm a public with things. And, right. um, you know, that that is a concern. But I mean, it's really our future as a community. So I want to encourage people that we do need to organize here in the Estes Valley. And we've got to just not worry about being that target. And I think that that sense of community, that that sense of it's not just one person doing Quora requests. It's it's a group. It's a community. Um, right. there, there's there's safety in numbers and there's strength in numbers. And, and I think that's really one of the keys that we one of those hurdles we have to overcome here. That so the the fear thing is very real and very legitimate um, in Woodland Park, one of these school board members who has caused the most bad blood with community members is also a deputy district attorney. There has been a good deal of concern about that, especially after the woman whose name was on the recall petitions was dragged out of her home in the middle of the night and thrown in a jail cell. Right. She was later exonerated on all charges. She did nothing, but she got charged with intimidating an elected official. Um, they jackbooted her in the middle of the night in front of her three kids, didn't wow. give her a chance to put on her shoes, threw her in a jail cell. And she knew immediately that her crime was offending the wrong man. You know what I mean? So that's a very real concern. And I don't want to dismiss it for anybody. The safety in numbers thing is very real. Because first of all, there was a whole community that flew up into arms when Sam Peck got thrown in jail. And she was out later that same day. And then it was a year-long legal ordeal for her that thankfully ended in total exoneration. She is a West Point graduate. She has, is an Army veteran. She got cops in her family. Um, and she's a self-identified moderate conservative. So they really went after you know, somebody who just wanted better for her district. And I think that's the other lesson is that she didn't really have to do anything to them for them to come for her. She just had to oppose them. She hadn't gotten in fights with them or anything. She was just the person who stepped up and put her name on the petition. And they came for her. And they have come for others, not in the same extreme way. Extreme way. But I think the lesson here is like, look, not going for them is not necessarily going to stop them from coming for you in a right. small town, in small town drama. And there is safety in numbers. And having that community really, really matters. Um, they haven't tried anything like that since the Sam Peck thing. It didn't work how they wanted it to, right? But uh, there's a lot of good reason for the folks of Woodland Park to be afraid as well. I would say one thing around, one way around it, this is what you got to do at the beginning of organizing a union as well, is sometimes you need to do like a hub and spoke. You're very out there and open about what you believe in and your role in the Estes Park community. People reach out to you. I think there's an opportunity there for like, if folks reach out to you, and they can say, hey, are there other folks who are trying to be connected with other folks interested in this? And the ones who do want to be known and know each other, you can put in touch. And the ones who don't, they can still be in touch with you. 
You know what I mean? And there's because you're open and out there, and that. that I, I'm just trying to write books and 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 know. you know do my thing. I but oh, man, but I, know, I, I will say like and it's part of just a small town life. Like it used to be like certain stories wouldn't get covered because there would be certain large business entities that were very litigious and, you know, not having a legal team really can, can be, have a silencing effect. But as I've gotten out there and with the consulting work I do out there with some of the, you know, top attorneys in the, in the nation, like I feel much safer talking about some of these things. And then on a local basis, just knowing I had that local legal backing, but I, I mean, it's just, for so long, it's been you try to to stand up against a system in a small mountain town, and you you are going to get jackbooted and pulled out of your house in front of your kids at three in the morning. Oh yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm from I'm originally from small town Tennessee, uh, where a you know a rumor can cross the town faster than you on foot. Um, and it, I always think back to like an eighth grade incident where a teacher said some shit to me in a classroom that was kind of over the line. I get out of that class and I walk to the cafeteria, and I'm greeted at the door of the cafeteria by somebody saying. I heard what she said to you. And I'm like, how did you hear it? I just left there and you were already standing here. So I, I the way that rumors and, and news and bad blood can travel in a small town is truly a thing of magic. And I think that's real. And what I learned as like a small town pastor's kid about surviving the rumor mill and, and bad blood, I'm just open about what I believe, right? Like yeah, you just gotta I, I, make a, I make a habit of not standing by things I don't believe in and not believing things that I can't stand by. You know, and so at a certain point, just being like, yeah, like it was, I had to become the only Democrat in town. Right. Like when I when I was younger and everybody knew and I just kind of had to be like, I, I just kinda, I put an Obama sticker on my car. Right. This is a decade plus ago. And I was just like, well, you know what? Why don't we lean into it? Y'all are talking about it anyway. And I think that there's there's something to say for that is like, look, in a small town like Estes Park, chances are if you're like pretty opposed to the school board. They might know other folks might know. And finding that safety in numbers is probably worth it because the the lines are going to get drawn either way. Yeah. Um, and and having that community to push back with and say, we are parents of this district. You know, that's an impact. That's a power. We are the stakeholders. Yes. It's a powerful voice and it's most powerful together. All right. Well, Logan, I don't want to take up too much more of your day. I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and breaking this down for us and, and the work you're doing, I'm going to link to all your articles from Woodland Park and, and, and put that information out there. Um, please stay in touch. Um, I definitely would, would love to have you on another time. And maybe as we get closer to the election and, and things kind of unfold, um, get love to get your two cents on that as well. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I would love that. And what I will tell you and your audience is that uh, between now and November, Colorado Times recorder, where I am but a lowly columnist, uh, has a lot of great journalists. They uh, really are doing a great job. Like, I'm impressed. Uh, like, I, I came across them looking, looking, researching stuff on school boards, finding your work, and then seeing just the influence they're beginning to have in the, the greater media uh, uh, environment. That has been such a a pleasant surprise. And and what I'll say is that so many of CTR's journalists, we at an editorial meeting like two weeks ago decided sort of who's looking at what school boards between now and 11, uh, now and November. But we are hoping at coloradotimesrecorder.com to cover as many of the places where this could be about to happen in Colorado as possible between now and November. We don't know that any other outlet is taking a dedicated approach to that. So I'm about to go turn my column to Garfield County where they're looking at American birthright. And then we have other journalists looking at the Colorado Springs districts, uh, you, uh, other ones up in the mountain. Steamboat has some stuff going on all over the place, out to the Western slope. I, I think we're going to try to get 
profiles out about 20 or so districts before November. So if anybody's any, any plans on covering Estes, I pitched it uh, and I said I needed to talk to this guy who had emailed me, his guy named Jason Van Tatenhove. Um, So, yes, I would love to take a look up there as well. And I should reach out to you offline. I got to get my Garfield one done, but I would love to know, especially a uh, little Easter egg here. I spent every summer of my upbringing going to camp right above Estes um, and and have a very special place in my heart for Long's Peak and, and that view and would just hate to see it uh, turn into another Woodland Park, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks so much, man. And, and keep fighting that good fight. You too, Jason. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, folks. That's going to be it for today. Keep an eye out. Again, we've got that interview I'm doing Monday with Donald Sherman of Crew about the landmark case being brought forward right here in Colorado. Uh, should be a great conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, be sure to check out the links for this show. I'm including all of the links to the Woodland Park articles that that Logan has put out there. Just exhaustive work. But if you look at what transpired there, and look at what's trying, what's starting to happen here, maybe I think you're gonna see some similarities. All right, folks. That's it. I'm going to go off to the Jawbreaker show down in Denver tonight. We got a free show. I was, I was really disappointed. Rancid and uh, Rise Against, Descendants, bunch of different punk bands were supposed to be playing. The show got canceled last minute uh, last weekend. But there's a free show. So if you're in the Denver area, free show tonight down um, whatever that outdoor pavilion is with the big, huge white dancing sculptures right near the uh, Buell Theater. Um, be happening tonight so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my youngest daughter out to her first punk rock show tonight alright folks you've been listening to Colorado Switchblade I'm Jason Van Tatenhove your host I'll talk with you again soon stay classy Colorado <laughs> <laughs>